This is an AMI podcast. Hey guys, welcome along to another episode of Double Tap. It's Tuesday, it's the 17th of October 2023. Today we're talking all about Retinascope and buying a new PC. You're listening to Double Tap, your daily accessible technology show. Now, here's your hosts, Stephen Scott and Sean Priest. Hey, Sean Priest, how are you today? Glorious, sir. Glorious. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm hearing. I'm hearing. I'm hearing things. Uh, well <laughs> Not just my screen reader. Uh, I'm hearing that there will be new iPads this week, apparently. Mm, what? Maybe what? even by the time the show airs. There will be a new iPad available. New iPad minis, apparently. New iPad Airs oh, coming. Oh, now, the rumor. are you going to fall into the trap of immediately buying one? No. Well, oh, well, no, no, well I, no. <laughs> I have to say, I loved the iPad mini. I really yes. thought that was a perfect iPad, even for someone who doesn't necessarily need the big screen. And, you know, taking on board all you guys and your points about the iPad, because a lot of you defended the iPad from the blind point of view, right? Because, you know, I often thought, nah, it's just for people with low vision who need to get up close and personal with the screen, right? But mm-hmm. for us, for me, I, I never thought much of it. But actually now I'm, I'm kind of tempted to, yeah, I don't know. I might be tempted by the iPad mini. I must admit the previous generation, it was 2021, the uh, the, the generation that it's, it was, is available. <laughs> depends on what, what's what the, what the news that? is. Depends on right was, now. Was that? Um, that was iPad five, mini. Was that five seven? or six or something? I can't remember. <laughs> I can't even, I've lost count of the mm. what generation we're on when it comes to the iPads. Last one I had was three. Well, it's quite confusing with the iPads, right? Because you've got iPad, you've got iPad mini, you've got iPad Air. Pro. So, and Pro. So you've got all these different types I think they yeah. should really clean that up a little bit. That's a bit of a mess. Come on, Tim, mm. get it sorted. Uh, tidy, yeah. a, tidy your house. <laughs> wow. Thank you, Mr. Cook. Um, <laughs> <laughs> i got to say, I, I really liked the last Mini. I never bought mm. one, but I really liked the form factor of it. And I'm not sure why, because I, I wouldn't use the screen. Yeah. But I just thought it was a really nice device. No, I'm with you. I thought it was a lovely device to use. Uh, I did buy one. I had to, I think I either sold it or I took it back. I can't remember what I did with it. But I, I decided against it because the, the storage capacity I got was 64 gig and it just wasn't enough. It just it just ran out almost really? instantly. Really? Yeah. Why? What, what did it run out with? What did you fill um, it up with? I think if I'm honest, it was it's always the video. So if you take video on your phone or you take anything, obviously Who it will... Uh, well, I do, because I've got a TV show, so you, ha- you kind of have to take video from time to time. It's kind of part of the deal, right? Well, on it's an kind iPad. of how TV works. On an iPad? No, on your iPhone. But, of course, that goes over to your iCloud, which then oh, downloads yeah. onto your other devices. Oh, yes, okay, that. you can set it to go up, and not so it'll it. not stay. Yeah, but, you know, yes. who does that? Um, but no, I run out of space <laughs> all the time on my iPad mini. All the time. So I thought, if next time, if I go down this route again, I will buy a larger capacity iPad. If I Fair go enough. down this route again. But yeah, so I put supposedly new ones coming. Uh, so those of you who might be in the market for a new iPad, you might want to hang on, because if there's not an announcement today, there might be one this week. And also, uh, you'll be so pleased to hear that the uh, Pencil, the Apple Pencil 3 may be announced this week. Oh, oh, my dreams. Oh, that's amazing. Oh, 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 joy. Oh, yeah, I have to oh say, gorgeous. 
That is one product I cannot find a justification for on any level. I don't use a regular pencil. So what am I going to do with an Apple pencil? Yeah, I, honestly, I can't think. I, I like to try and find an accessibility angle everywhere. Mm. On, on, when it comes to the pencil, there must be something out there, but I can't think of it. So I, I have it in my drawer. Well, I did I actually have it in my drawer. I bought this little box, or a little bag of styluses. Styli? Styluses? St- stylies. Stylies. I don't uh, know. I bought a little box. Well, I keep saying a box. It was a bag of them. For like yes. a pound, for a dollar, for a Isn't cent. It- it's not exactly it the same as an Apple Pencil, though, is it? What you bought there is little sticks of plastic. Well, the little rubber bit at the end. Yeah. Oh, oh sorry. Yes, I did forget. Yes, with a little <laughs> yeah. bit of rubber at Highly the end. technical. Uh, yeah. Why it did basically you buy those? Like, what, I bought, what I bought was a crayon. That's, I bought a digital crayon. <laughs> Why? Not a pencil, a Why? crayon. Why? I'm going to keep asking it. Well, Why? actually, it wasn't for me. Hmm. So there. It was for my oh. mother. <laughs> Mother, <laughs> my mother, she kept stabbing away at her screen, and she said, "You know, she loves playing with the drawing thing." And I was like, "Okay, so there." So I got her this little thing, and she's able to. And it was nothing; it didn't cost anything at all. Well, and you could have got, got her an Apple pencil. Tons of them. Why, why, did you, why did you cheap out there for your own mother? Uh-huh. So you don't know my mum, do you? <laughs> she would. She would probably think it ran out of ink and threw it in the bin at some point. So you know, I, I, let's not go down that route. Let's just you know. All right. Love you, Mama Scott. Shall we just mention? I'm just glad she doesn't use a permanent marker on it. That's all I was glad about. <laughs> Remember, you are the man who threw away the um, battery pack because it oh, ran out of charge. And yeah, didn't I know. know you could recharge the battery pack. We it said on the box you could yeah. charge it twice. That's what it twice. said. Yes. <laughs> and I took it at its word. I didn't realise it meant oh. you could continually charge and charge your devices twice from it. Embarrassing blind it blunder by Stephen Scott. Glorious, that was possibly that my worst thing. That probably is up there <laughs> with the, the guy who put, or the, the woman that put LOL, meaning thinking she meant lots of love on a text to a friend whose mother had died. I think that oh. just puts it up there, doesn't it? Wow. Oh, yes, but... Still can't know. go with that one. Host of a tech show, everyone. Anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's move on quickly. <laughs> uh, yeah, host of a tech show. That's as far as I go. I don't, I don't <laughs> pretend anything. I don't pretend anything. We get experts in to talk about things. I'm not the expert. That's true. Um, but actually, today, I am going to play the role of an expert, badly, probably. Mm. Uh, but coming up as well, we're going to hear about retinoscopes. So we've heard about this kind of product before. So, you know, obviously in, in certain parts of the world, uh, getting access to eye care is challenging, right? And, you know, smartphones are so capable, but they cannot see at the back of the eye. They cannot take pictures of the retina. So you need to add some kind of technology to that. And someone has created what I can only describe as a hairdryer type device, which is exactly what it looks like, by the way, and feels like. It, look, it feels like a hairdryer uh, that someone has attached an iPhone to uh, at the back of it. So you have this uh, iPhone or Android phone, I guess, that you can connect to this device and it is able to take a picture and then that picture can be taken in by the device and then sent remotely uh, or even, I don't think, possibly even on device, it can uh, use AI to analyse the image and give you information on your health, eye health. Now, this yeah. can tell, apparently, and we'll hear the interview later with the founder of this, but this can actually tell if someone is pre-diabetic. They may not even know they're pre-diabetic. They may have no idea. They may have no symptoms. 
but it can tell you. I mentioned this on the show last week when we were at uh, CES in Amsterdam. This was one of the companies I spoke to, and just so interesting. And also, big shout out to my hometown of Glasgow. Go Glasgow! People make Glasgow, etc. The... uh, (laughs) Okay. That's that's our that's our line. That's our Is thing. It? It used to, used to be Glasgow's miles better because right. it was then. and there was a little yellow sunshine with a smile on the face. But then I think people thought we were just all about drugs, and we were. <laughs> but you know, we uh, we kind of just moved on from that, and now it's people make Glasgow. So there you go. Anyway, that make, aside, make Glasgow uh, what terrible. <laughs> Oh, thanks. Wow. Great. Sorry. Are you from Manchester? How's Manchester doing these days? Is it all right? I'm just saying it's Uh an unfinished tagline. It needs another word. I'll tell you it's unfinished. Manchester. All right. Thank you. So. uh... It's just just have a bit of an interpersonal, uh, uh, inter-city fight going on here. Um, So anyway, uh, yeah, fantastic work going on in Glasgow. Uh, There's a biomedical research centre in Glasgow I didn't know about that's doing a lot of work in creating this technology in a much smaller form factor. So we'll hear a bit about that later in the interview. But shall we talk about computers first? Oh, we're going to get techie. Okay, go on. So this is an email we got from Jonathan Ambro, who's listened to us for a while. Uh, Jonathan got in touch uh, a while back to talk to us about Lazarillo when we were asking questions about how good Lazarillo was. He came on and talked about that. Well, he's back with another question. Hi, Stephen and Sean. It's been quite a while since we met and spoke about Lazarillo. I do hope things are going well for you. I'm thinking about buying a couple of things for my PC, so I thought I would ask you for some recommendations, please. I'm using a Windows 10 desktop PC with a tower under my desk. Headset, I currently have a camera with an integrated microphone and plug-in normal in-ear wired earphones as my speaker system has a volume control with a 3.5mm input for earphones. This is fine for a lot of the time, but there are times I do want something better. As I'm using JAWS and enjoy using the splitting sounds feature when on calls, I want it to be for both ears. What do you use, or have you heard of any particularly good USB headsets that will not break the bank? Keyboards, I am still using my old high-contrast ZoomText keyboard. I do like the somewhat mechanical feeling of the keys and have read that mechanical keyboards are better for hand and wrist health than membrane keyboards. Do you have a mechanical keyboard? And if so, which one? Or again, what have you heard in this area? Many thanks in advance for your thoughts. Best wishes, Jonathan. So thank you, Jonathan. And that got me thinking. Okay, so it's time to think about upgrading computers. I have to say, this is great because it's like going shopping without having to spend any money. (laughs) So I'm well up for this. Okay, so I guess there's a couple of parts to this. Um, Now, the headset part of it, I'm going to park that, Jonathan, because we're going to come back to that tomorrow. Uh, I've been looking into this one for me as well. USB headsets, wired versus wireless Earbuds versus over the you know head earphones, big earphones. Mm. Um, so I'm intrigued. There's lots and lots of options out there. So I'm going to park that discussion for a moment, um, and I want to talk today about your desktop and potential laptops or, or purchases, that kind of thing. Uh, and also want to talk about your other uh, ideas as well around keyboards because um, <laughs> well, you could get me talking all day about keyboards. <laughs> Have I got a story to tell you about that one? Anyway. <laughs> Let's start with the desktop. So here's a question, Sean. Would you upgrade a desktop today? I mean, a Windows 10 desktop, it's obviously going to be a few years old. Would you upgrade that or would you be thinking of buying something new altogether? Well, that's an interesting question. I used to always build my own. Um, But would I do that now or would I go for an upgrade? Do you know what? I I would probably say it does depend 
on the age of the computer. Windows 10 could be pretty much any age, to be honest, from, you know, four years old to 15. Um, I, I'm not entirely sure because uh, the upgrade to, to Windows 10 from Windows 8 and Windows 7 to Windows 8 were all free rollout. So it doesn't say how old the actual hardware is. Um, now, I would be tempted just to buy a complete system nowadays, to be honest. The price difference between upgrading and, and buying a, a new system isn't that great anymore, um, especially when you know, hey, I don't need to worry about a really powerful uh, graphics card. So all we're looking at really is the processor, memory, and storage. It's the only things we need to worry about. I mean, possibly you could get away with, if you're running an old H8 uh, mechanical hard disk, moving to SSD is an incredible performance jump. Um, but other than that, I would probably think about just swapping the whole system out for a new one. Yeah, and I think there's a good reason for that, right? Because I, I don't want to speak for you, Jonathan, but I'll speak for myself on this. I would not be the most comfortable switching out. I have done it, but switching out hard drives on a desktop computer, okay, that in itself isn't a huge challenge, especially if you're swapping it, you know, say, a, like you say, the big mechanical drive to something like a solid state drive. So they're usually 3.5, was it 3.5 inch drives versus the 2.5 inch ones that are the SSD. So a little bit smaller. You can sometimes buy a little cradle, which you can put it in so that it will still fit in the same slot in your computer. Uh, but you've got to make sure that your computer can take SATA, which is the thin, the really thin cable versus the big, you know, I mean, I don't know if they'll still have parallel cables going into computers these days. So <laughs> ID that's all cables, gone. yeah. ID, yeah, I don't yeah that's right. Um, and all that stuff. So, yeah, I, I think you, you just it's that's not really the biggest issue. The issue is making sure that everything transfers across. Now, you guys talked about this on Friday, which is kind of what I thought has brought this into a really interesting conversation topic now. Because I think if you are doing that, the way I did it was I swapped over. I didn't bother trying to clone drives or do any of that stuff. I just started fresh, started completely fresh, fresh install of Windows. I can't remember. I think I probably lost the Windows license and probably had to upgrade again. Um, <gasps> yeah, that's the thing, right? Because the Windows license, it sometimes will transfer with the digital license, but I'm not entirely convinced how that works. It should be linked to your Microsoft ID. Um, so as soon, as soon as you sign in, the good thing about Windows now is that you can continue without entering a, a activation code, a license product key, they call it. Yeah. Yeah, without, you can still install it and carry on with the setup. And once you sign in with your Microsoft ID, it should, ah, oh, you've already got a license for this. So you should be okay. But as you say, there can be uh, issues. I, I had an issue for the longest time. And um, if you're in customer support, that's the only way to fix it. But in, mm -hmm. in theory, it should be linked to your Microsoft ID. So then you've got to think about all the setup process. And I'm not going to go through that because the guys on Friday did a, a sterling job of that. So, you know, I would strongly encourage you go and listen to that episode from Friday 13th. Unlucky for some, but great news for us because uh, we got a great <laughs> show. Um, but I think when it comes to the, the... Okay, so the desktop upgrade process, I think the first thing you look at is RAM. So your memory. If that's 8 gig, double it to 16. Now, you will find, of course, and you'll have to figure this out, how much your machine can take because there is a maximum amount. And obviously, it's dependent on the amount of slots that are in there and also the amount of capability for your system. Now, 16 is probably going to be okay. Uh, but let's say, for example, you had um, 8 gig in there at the moment. You could have two 
four gigabyte RAM modules, and you might only have two slots. So that means you'd have to replace those two with either one 16 gig slot or two eights. You have to think about that as well. So what can your machine have? What can it run? Now, I found something really useful, and it depends on the type of machine you have. If it was built for you, then you might not have this option. But if it was a branded computer, then you might be able to go to a a service like crucial.com, which I think is a great website. Uh, It's not the most accessible in the world, and I must admit it's been a few years since I've been there. But you could actually get your computer scanned, and it would tell you what your capability was in that system. It would say, and obviously it's trying to sell you RAM as well at the same time, right? But, you know, you don't have to buy it from there. It just tells you what kind of RAM you would need. It tells you how much you can put into your system. And that could be a way of upgrading. It's certainly, I mean, the way I always think about RAM is it's like the bottleneck of a, a bottle of a wine bottle or the neck of a wine bottle, I should say. You're just widening that. You're just allowing more content to get through more easily. So you don't have that literal bottleneck problem where, you know, for example, say your computer runs slow or you're running maybe say, 12 tabs in Chrome, and you try and open up Microsoft Outlook at the same time, and it all just feels very sluggish, it can help alleviate that. But if you want speed, you have to look at the solid-state drive. If it's a desktop computer of a certain age, it probably won't have a solid-state drive. That alone, upgrading that, will give you a lot more speed. Huge difference. Huge difference. Anyone with a laptop that's running a, a mechanical hard disk, just swapping that to an SSD can give you a, you know another few years using that it, it's um it's one of oh, the best upgrades ancient, you can do make really old computers fast i mean so a, a lot of people do this thing now where they get the computers from organizations there are charities around the world that you can buy computers from you don't have to go out and buy brand new oftentimes these are computers that have been in offices and you know what it's like you know these offices they get these computers they have a 3 year lease or a five-year lease, they have the machines, and then what happens is those machines are taken away and then replaced in the office. But there's nothing wrong with those machines. So some of them, not all of them, sadly, but most of them are often donated to organizations. And there's one here in the UK called Get Online at Home. And that's exactly what it's for. They will essentially take those computers, they will, you know, dust them off, they'll clean them up, they'll maybe, you know, check out the components inside, maybe even do some upgrades and sell you that on. And you could put a solid-state drive in that at that point, and that machine will run quite smooth. I mean, we're talking old Dell Optiplexes and, you know, yes. all those kind of... Those are... Actually, they're fine. And some of them have still got their old DVD writers in them, CD writers, so the stuff you want. <laughs> some of them even run PS2, you know, for uh, keyboards and mice. I mean, some of them can be pretty old. But they can work fine. They can run fine. Now, obviously, there's a limit to how... You know, there's a limit to that because with Windows 11... There is this requirement for a specific type of chip called the TPM chip inside each machine. Those older machines are not going to have that. So that's another consideration. Um, but yeah, certainly RAM, certainly uh, solid state drive, that can improve the experience. Um, the one thing to say about solid state drives, it's important to remember this. You're not going to get, say you've got a one or a two or even a four terabyte drive in your computer. You're going to spend a lot of money trying to replicate that. You'll probably find that when you buy or replace your drive, you will probably want something like a, or end up with something like a 512 gig, maybe a one terabyte if you're feeling you know generous. But that's a lot of money because the the, the storage is much more expensive in solid state. So absolutely, you're not going to get 
something like a, a you might not get a four terabyte. I mean, I think you can, but they're very expensive. Yes, they cost a fortune. The capacity is a lot lower on SSD, but um, you know, you make up for it so many times on performance. Absolutely. My next question is though: laptop versus desktop. Now, this has been an issue for me for a long time. I think a lot of people have the idea. There's something about a desktop. I do have this. Maybe it's a, maybe it's a, an age thing. I don't know. There's something mm. about a desktop computer versus a laptop. There's a feeling, I think, that it's going to be more powerful as a desktop. You know, it's got more capability. It's more built for the job. It's ready to go. Whereas a laptop, it's kind of, you know... I mean, I, I, I'm old enough to remember the days when we never we would dream of a laptop being a desktop replacement. Yes. We say, oh, wouldn't it be great if you could just have a laptop that was powerful enough? No, of course, we're way beyond that. They're all more than capable of doing it. So why not just get a laptop? Well, it depends what your use case is. I mean, if you're never going to need to take it anywhere, then you're spending more money for the form factor of it. Um, you know, the fact that it's got a screen in it, a keyboard in it, and the actual design of it, you're paying for those extra features. And if you're never going to take it out of your home office, then why? why? Why feel the need? A tower makes perfect sense. And there are still some limitations. Yes, the power of these laptops now is absolutely amazing. I'm running a laptop here with a um, NVIDIA 3070 graphics card in there. It's much more than I'm ever, ever going to need or <laughs> you do use. You do have the screen on, do you? I don't, yeah, that's right. But, I mean, the performance is absolutely amazing. But there's still limitations. Mainly it comes down to thermal throttling. Because of the the size of a laptop and the thinness of it, they can run hotter than your normal mm. desktop. So sometimes they'll have a laptop-class processor in there, which is different from a desktop-class processor, um, because in a desktop, you've got plenty of airflow and everything like that. So there still are certain limitations. It's probably none that you're going to actually notice other than maybe fan noise, and maybe that bothers you. Maybe it doesn't. In our situation where we're recording audio, we don't want fans flaring up every five minutes. So, um, yeah, it comes purely down to use case. I would say a laptop is absolutely great. If you think you're going to need it on a trip at some point, then absolutely. Uh, you can. I'm using it, as I said, a laptop in here, and it never leaves the shed. But the, the fact of the matter is that it's got great performance and um, it hardly takes up any space in here. So it's, it's OK for me. Which is, yeah, uh, my thing about a laptop is, and I've often toyed with this, it, you know, I don't need the screen so much. So do I need another monitor on my desk? No, I don't. But uh, unfortunately, a lot of applications, especially on the PC, do require, it would appear, a screen. And even if, I mean, I, I remember using my laptop, my Lenovo one, um, in clamshell mode. So basically with the lid shut. That's how I had it. Yeah. Yeah. And had a keyboard connected to it and I couldn't get WhatsApp to work. Just wouldn't work. Just would not work until I opened the lid and then it was fine. Couldn't understand mm. it. Makes no sense to me at all. And I feel that may have been the case with other apps as well. And I thought, okay, I'm going to have to leave the lid open. That's fine. But what it does do is it gives you that screen. So if you do need visual assistance, either through, I mean, sometimes you're seeing AI when the screen's just stuck on something. You think, okay, what's this saying? And then seeing yes. AI just reads it out. It saves you having to call Be My Eyes or Ira if you don't need it for that kind of thing. Obviously, you've got a desktop. Ira desktop, by the way, if you don't have a monitor attached, won't work. Um, doesn't like it. So Really? Oh, I yeah. didn't know that. Well, I had this situation where I had contacted Ira. I'd asked for assistance. My PC didn't even have a monitor at all connected to it. I didn't need it. 
So I thought, okay, I'll just live without it. That was fine until I contacted Ira through Ira Desktop. So I'm now sharing my screen with them and they could see nothing. And then I had to, as soon as I plugged in a monitor, it came back on for them. And I thought, that's interesting. So, you know, there's this idea that we don't need monitors. And yet it's partly true. We don't need them, but we still need them around. So yes. I think, you know, we've got to be a bit, we've got to be adjacent to a monitor. Now, that's where a, a laptop's handy because you don't care about the size of the screen or the quality of the screen if you're blind. So you can just forget about that. And I am talking here about blind people who don't use screens. Okay. So let me be very clear. That's just what I'm talking about. But you also get that webcam in there. So you've got an external webcam. Okay. That's great. But you, that's another thing off your desk you don't need. Um, now, the speakers, of course, that's a different story. And, you know, I think that. Uh, that's something I would like to get other people's take on because there's loads of different options out there when it comes to speakers. It's a very selective thing, though, because, you know, I might like something, you might not like it. There's some people who actually go down the route of getting, I tried it once, a sound bar instead of actual speakers because it was a bit neater. Oh, right. Because um, you can get these. How did these... that work out? Um, well, I know it was good. I'll tell you what it was really good for. I could have my, I, the way I set up on my Mac was I had my studio speakers my big KRK monitor speaker set up and I would route the voiceover through the center um, soundbar. So ah, that had a separation yeah. of the two. Um, that was actually quite good. Now that's different for a PC, obviously, but again, you can do that, right? Because you can choose where JAWS or NVDA goes. You can choose where yep. the output uh, appears. And if you have one of these USBs, you can just assign that. Of course, th there were other issues with that. And of course, the biggest issue for me is when you're recording, right? Because I want everything through my ears and through my speakers. So that was where the problem lay for me. So it's not ideal in a studio situation, but most of you aren't in that situation. So um, that's just a point. It was actually David Woodbridge that came up with that idea. And I thought yep. it was a great one. Um so you've got that. Um, you've also got microphones in there. So if you do want to do a Teams call or whatever, you could use that. Of course, you can connect a headset. You could buy a docking station. As but Microsoft. all these are things that, that are built in, right? The speakers and the microphone mm. you're talking about. But how often are they actually any good? And when I say any good, I mean usable in a mm. something like a, a VoIP, a, a Teams meeting, a Zooms meeting. Most of the time, the speakers aren't great. And the microphone Look, I'll, I'll be isn't honest. great. When it comes to PCs, I don't think I've found one yet that sounds anywhere close to good, except, weirdly, the Surface Pro. The Microsoft Surface Pro has probably got the best speakers I've ever heard in a PC. Mm. Okay. Uh, that is up there with the MacBook. You, you are paying for that. You are paying nearly MacBook exactly. prices. That's the problem. So if you're paying I, I, less, what do you I'm expect? Just, Wasp in a jar. I'm just well, pretty much. I'm just very much of well. You you would I would spend that extra money on a, a quality headset with a decent mic built in, and even a quality webcam as well. Uh, yeah. Speakers don't cost that much, to be honest. To to, to be incredibly uh, so much better than built-in speakers. So I, I'm sort of tempted that you would buy this stuff anyway because you just wouldn't be happy with the performance of built-in hardware. Okay, like so that. you sound like you're sticking to the desktop idea. And of I course, there's one, and there's one thing you can add to the desktop, which is really important to know. If you really don't want a monitor on your desk, you can buy what's called an HDMI dummy. And that's exactly what it is. It's just a little HDMI dongle, which goes into the HDMI slot of your laptop, or sorry, your desktop in this case, and that will act as if it's it's almost pretending there's a monitor connected. I'm a TV. Yes. Honestly, it's connected, see? 
<laughs> and it does mean if- that all these things should work. And and I did, I put it to the test on that Lenovo with the, the clamshell and it worked perfectly every time. Would that work so, with the Ira desktop service yes. then as well? Yes. Yeah, because okay. it just has to think there's a monitor there. Because it's like putting the visual it. signal then, but it's yeah. just, yeah, okay. That makes sense. That's very cool. Of course, the, the only thing left then is the processor. Mm. I mean, it, 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 what sort of processors are we up to at the minute? Because it can be so confusing. I think so, well, you've got you've got two choices, Intel or AMD at the moment. That's it. Yeah, and on the AMD front, I'm, you know, I'm a bit unsure. My, yeah. PC, my, my PC at home has an AMD in it, and I think it's okay. But I've always been Intel when it came to PCs. And I've never had a problem, especially, and for my instance, it's, it's audio, right? So I'm always thinking about how well it works with audio. And I get a lot of issues with my system, but I, I just can't work out where the issue is. I, it can't solely be the processor. So, the, I mean, it's a fast machine. It's a powerful machine I'm running. And uh, it's an HP Omen uh, desktop computer I've got here. It's got um, 16 gig of RAM. It's got, you know, fast SSD in it. Yeah. You know, it's got the AMD Ryzen 7, I think it is, that's in there. So, I mean, it's a fast processor. I mean, as far as I know, it's all very quick. I mean, it's worth a two, three-year-old processor now, but it's perfectly fine. Um, but I've still got a few issues with it. But I never seem to have those issues with Intel. I, I, maybe I'd, maybe well. I'm just hopeful on that one, or maybe, maybe I'm just remembering. <laughs> you know, memory is always a bit different to reality. Uh, but yes. I want to mention the, the, the laptop thing, because this kind of leads us into this point, right? So just want to mention briefly about laptops. And, you know, I don't want to come up with some exhaustive list of laptops that are the best laptops for blind people and that nonsense, because I think it's all very, it's all dependent on what you want. And I think, you know, the key thing here for me is I'm not aiming this at people who are the creators or the developers or the people who are making movies. That's not what this is about. This is for your everyday use. What do you need? Because that can impact the amount of money you're spending. You could spend a fortune, like you said about the, or we both said about the Microsoft Surface Pro, brilliant machine, but really expensive. Yes. And do we need that? No, I don't think most people do. I'm looking here, at, and this is this is going based on uh, the specifications of NVDA and JAWS for Windows, right? So on both specification sheets, I think for NVDA, it says minimum 256 megabytes of RAM is the minimum. Um, Eight gigabit, therefore, is quite a lot. Uh, JAWS says four, but it does say recommended eight. I would argue 16, but we'll just park that for a second. Um, (laughs) But, I mean, I'm looking here. So in uh, Amazon Canada, there's uh, Dell and Spiron 3520, 15.6-inch laptop. It's got an Intel i5 processor, which I think is the absolute minimum you want to go in terms of processors, you have i3, you have i5, and i9. No, actually, you got i3, i5, i7, and i9. Yeah. Yeah. Um, i5 is, I would say, the, the the minimum you want to go. i3 can be a bit... Eh. I bought a laptop for £200 for Sarah, and it's running an i3. And it's fine for taking notes and browsing the web. Yeah. But you hit that start button, start uh, key to bring up the start menu, and you're waiting a second or two. It doesn't sound like a lot, but trust me, that lag starts to irritate when you're using a screen reader. So that is the thing. I mean, you know, you, that that budget comes at a price. Yeah, and, and like you say, it's all very well at the beginning. You go, okay, I can live with it. Five weeks in, you want yes. to throw the thing out the window. <laughs> yes, I, um, would, so- I would agree, an i5. 
i5, now that's the 11th gen. I think we're up to 13th gen when it comes to Intel Core processors. Yes. Bear in mind the minimum requirements for NVDA and for Windows go right back to the core duos. You know, we're talking way back years ago. Um, you know, so the, the requirement is not up here with the 11th. I mean, you could probably go back to a 7th gen if you really wanted to. Um, most of them you'll buy today will be probably in the 11 and 12 range. Uh, yes, I, w- I would say it's important to take note of that, though. It will say something like an Intel i5, 1200, 1300, 800, and that signifies the generation. Hmm. Because if you're comparing computers, you say, hang on, this one's $150 cheaper. Why is that when the specs are pretty much the same? You yeah. can almost guarantee it's because it's a newer generation, the one that costs a little bit more money. And it's not always clear with PCs how old they are. I mean, even when you go through the different brands and different options on say amazon or any other website you, you know it's not clear what the new ones are but that that is like the registration plate on a car right it gives you an age it does yes so that number that follows so you'll see intel core i5 or i i7 or whatever and it'll give you a number like you say 11 12 whatever that's the generational number so really important to know in this case 8 gig of ram 256 solid solid state drive worth windows 11 that is uh, 639 dollars in in Canada, right? So mm, that yep. is not a bad price. And I think that is the level you want to be pitching at. I'm not saying Dell's the answer, but I'm saying that is, in terms of specification, I think that's the absolute minimum you want. If that is all you're doing with your machine is doing documents, you're online a lot, you maybe use Word or Excel, maybe you use Teams every so often, maybe you're you know using Zoom, this will do the job, and it will run your screen reader of choice as well. Obviously, Narrator built-in will work fine. Um, but I, I think that's probably the pitch point I would set at. I mean, we could go through lots of different options. You could obviously think about the higher-up options, the more in- intense options, things like you know when we move into the 16-gig range and then, of course, more up-to-date processors, bigger hard drives. But that all comes at a price. And if you want that and you've got the money to buy it, then great. But what I would say to you is avoid some of the higher-end brands if you're totally blind. I, I, I am not keen on the idea of, of people spending the money they have to spend sometimes on, say, Dell XPS is a good example of this. Dell XPS computers are fine, really good computers. The problem for me is that they've got touchscreens. I'll never use. I'm paying money for a 4K touchscreen I will never use. So why bother? So... Dell Inspiron is the range I always look at. I can get a higher spec machine for half the price of what I'd get that Dell XPS for. And in some cases, just as good, if not a better machine. And some of the, and this is something else, on some of the lower end machines or arguably budget friendly machines, you can sometimes get full size keyboards versus getting, you know, just a laptop size. You'll, You'll not get a full size keyboard on some of these. XPS doesn't have that. In fact, the XPS 13 at the moment is using that horrible touch bar type oh, equivalent function yes. row key. That's terrible. I mean, and you've got to know that because if you're buying that machine suddenly, hey, where's my function row gone? Oh, it's a touch screen. Oh, brilliant. Yes. And it's not going to be as accessible as Apple's one, I'll tell you that. Nope. So, you know, these are things to think about when you're buying. We've got to take a break. Um, but I hope that's useful to you, Jonathan, and to anyone else who's looking to buy a new computer. Share your thoughts as well. Get in touch with us. Oh, and one final thing. Uh, Dell, Lenovo, and they've got the insert key. Catch you in a minute. (laughs) 
Send us your feedback to feedback at doubletaponair.com. Leave us a voicemail at 1-877-803-4567. You're listening to Double Tap. I had to get the point in about the insert key, didn't I? I, I had know, to mention you always it. do. Well, I'm assuming you want to talk about keyboards as well, because, you know... It's you, yeah, obviously. I mean, I, can I just add before we get into mm. that? Actually, one thing to look out for, and I did not know this, is that not all the modern processors have built-in graphics anymore. Used to be the case they always did, but from what I understand, that's no longer the case. So, if you are ordering your own PC, make sure you don't need a graphics card uh, if you are using a, a monitor with it, because it's not guaranteed. Especially, I think it's the AMD. But, um, yeah, just something to be aware of. Yeah, uh, that's right. Some of them, some of the onboard, I mean, I, my HP Omen did, did not come with an HDMI port on the motherboard. Oh, there you go. Yeah, exactly the point. Um, because I used to always say, well, don't even think about a graphics card because you save so much money. Mm-hmm. My daughter's just bought a PC now over £2,000 and over half of that is on the graphics card. Obviously, he wants it for gaming. Um, if, if it's something you're not interested in, you can you know, save so much money or invest it in a better processor, a hard disk, or whatever else, yeah. um, because you could just use the built-in graphics. That's all we need. It's more than enough. But, um, yeah, it's something you need to be aware of. Now, in terms of keyboards, Jonathan, you mentioned uh, mechanical. Now, I can hear an email coming in from Greg from Pennsylvania right now because I know you, Greg, have a Zoom. I'm sure it's you, actually, who has the Zoom Text keyboard. And that is something which you adore as well. And it's a very popular keyboard. I must admit, it was never my cup of tea, if I'm totally honest. I never really got on with it because I felt the keys were a bit too spongy and I really had to push down on them. You know, it wasn't a good sponge. Well, maybe it was a good sponge, actually, if you'd push down on it. It was, like, it was a good sponge. <laughs> Where's um, this going? <laughs> <laughs> that's a technical term. Good spongy keys. Um, but for me, I don't like that. I, I don't. I'm trying to get away from the clicky clicky because obviously, I mean, I've got one here from uh, the company Matthias that is so loud when I'm using it. It actually gives me a headache. Um, Isn't that what all mechanical keyboards are like? That's what I've got in my head. The mechanical mm. keyboards are just clicky clacky. Uh, keys simple as that there are better versions coming out and they're clearly trying to develop these to work i mean they keep talking about the workplace but i think at home this must be irritating i mean if you if you're in a room at, at night and suddenly you try to type away an email or something it's going to irritate people you know there's no way around it i mean i can't use my keyboard i can't use that matthias keyboard at home because i know it annoys my wife and i know it does and she doesn't say anything yes. but i know it, it must because it annoys me yeah. So, you know, <laughs> if it's annoying me, it's going to annoy other people. So, you know, there's that consideration. Um, so here's my thing. When it comes to keyboards, there's one keyboard I go back to time and time and time again, and it is the Logitech MX Keys. Now, this is not a mechanical keyboard. It is the traditional type keyboard, but it has got the nicest keyboard I've used in a long time. Now, I have recommended this for a number of months and probably even a couple of years. And I think I have personally been responsible for sales of the Logitech MX keys because everyone gets in touch and says, I've bought one of these. Was it Lena that bought six of them? Was it Lena? Was it six? Wow. Someone bought six. Um, So, yeah. I'll tell you how I know you're responsible because I bought one. Yeah, exactly. I don't spend money. 
Yes. Because yeah. they're not the cheapest of things, but well worth it. So why do you like it? Oh, that's such a good question, thinking about it. Why do I like it? I like the, um, I just like the, the, the keys themselves. I think it's a really nice action. And that, again, it's going back to a, a preference for a mechanical or just the, the switch type. It, it, it's different to, uh, and it's very a personal thing. But I think the key action is very nice. There's very few occasions where I will mistype on it. And I just love the layout. It's got the full, uh, at least the one I've got, the MX keys, not the mini, has the number pad and the mm. you know, the, the uh, home and page down, page up, panel, cursor key separate. And I really like that. I just think it's a really nicely laid out keyboard for one thing. But I think the keys themselves, the design of the keycaps, just really, really work well. So the one thing I wasn't overly keen on was its low profile. It's very low to the desk. And that's very similar to the Mac keyboards. Those are, you almost feel like it's just a credit card lying on your desk. It's so thin. Um, but <laughs> you'll love this. So I got with mine uh, a wrist rest that came with it, right? So I don't know which one I bought. I think it was the MX Keys Plus or whatever it was called. And so I bought that one and it had, because the other one I had just stopped working, completely stopped working. I think... These came out just, I think, around about pandemic lockdown time. And I don't know, maybe the software wasn't quite 100%, but they did bring out a new version. So I ended up buying this and um, it's been great so far. Although I think I may have figured out what the problem was. And as usual, it's my fault. Um, Of course. Because I kind of didn't quite understand how these Logitech things work. So you get these little receivers. Uh, You get the unifying receiver or you get the Bolt version of it. And I didn't realize that you had to pair that to the keyboard. It's not the most accessible process, I'll say that. Um, but you have to basically do it that way, not via Bluetooth. I was always doing it via Bluetooth. Oh, right. Thinking no. that was it. And it didn't work. Or, or it would work, but, you know, I had issues with the PC and stuff, so it, was, it wasn't working as well as I hoped. Anyway, I got all that resolved, and it's fine. But anyway, the wrist stress that comes with it, Really nice wrist rest. It moves around an awful lot. It's not very sticky to the desk. It's not, it's not like it's got a rubber base or anything, so it kind of moves around a lot. Uh, so I found it quite irritating. In the end, I ended up putting it underneath the keyboard, and it's made it perfect to type on. So I've enhanced <laughs> my MX keys That's something just by I've putting noticed. it in front, under the front of it. It doesn't have any foldable feet at the rear to, to angle. No. That's the only thing. It is very flat. I, I don't have a problem with that at all. I'm... I'm I'm used to my previous keyboards were all mini laptop style ones anyway that didn't have the numpad and were all, you know, very much crowded together and very slim and compact. Um, I just used to like those on my desk to reduce the clutter. But um, I've got to say, now I've gone to a full size, I do prefer it. That number pad does make a difference. That that design does make a difference. Um, but you're right. You, if you're worried about how flat they are and you need a bit of a, a raised angle, on your keyboard, um, yeah, shove something underneath it because it hasn't got any feet on it. Mm. Um, so, yeah, and I'm going to tell you about this in a couple of uh, days' time because I think we're going to try and get these guys on. Uh, but I actually found on someone on Mastodon pointed me towards the keyboard company. Yes, a, a shop for keyboards. Yeah, I saw your toot on this. You were getting all giddy, <sighs> yes. I think I must have spent about six hours on this website going through keyboards I had never heard of, new brands, new styles. 
I am so excited. And uh, yeah, I may have put a few things in the basket. It started because I learned about the new Matthias. There's a new, I think it's called Touch or Quiet Pro, I think they call it, is the new version of it. So you've got Tactile Pro, which is quite the noisy one I've got. But there's a new Quiet Pro. So I'm tempted to try that out. Mm. Anyway, let's move on. <sighs> keyboards, Hope that's keyboards. useful. Let us know your thoughts, feedback at doubletaponair.com. One eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven is our number. You can drop us a voicemail there. Uh, this week, uh, we're featuring interviews from uh, my trip to Amsterdam last week uh, at the Consumer Electronics Show. And today we learn about Retinascope. Yes, hi, I'm Jan Boers from Retinascope. Uh, we aim to uh, change the way people are screened for vision loss. Uh, because hundreds of millions of people are uh, at, at risk for vision loss and uh, screening is not up to speed. So we want to bring solutions that, that will change that and allow people to be screened uh, whenever they uh, want at whatever situation they are in. Tell me a bit more about the company. Tell me about the genesis of this idea. Yes, uh, the, uh, we started Retinoscope because we understood that uh, volume screening is, uh, is not happening. There are AI tools uh, and the, the companies that make AI tools, they asked us, can you make a camera that's much cheaper and much easier uh, to allow us uh, to do volume screening. At the same time, my father was uh, suffering from AMD. Uh, so it was my motivation to really start this, uh, both the market and, uh, and why should I do this? Uh, so we started Retinoscope uh, in 2018 and uh, been working on products ever since. And, and what is so special about this product versus what, for example, when we talk about cameras inside a smartphone, uh, what's the difference? What, what does this see that the camera in a smartphone can't? Well, the, the retina, the back of the eye, uh, cannot be uh, uh, seen by a smartphone camera. Uh, let alone cameras are not certified to do that, and that's required, especially in uh, in uh, Europe and and America. Uh, you need to have certification to do uh, image uh, images of the retina. Uh, the back of the eye uh, is difficult to uh, to vision, so uh, that's that's the main uh, main differentiator. And then we we make devices that are easy to use, so that uh, anybody basically can make the pictures, and the pictures can go into AI to to get the first results and then you will have uh, 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 the idea and the knowledge Does, do people need to go to an ophthalmologist for further checkup or are they okay and that's a big differentiator now many people go to an ophthalmologist uh, because they, are, they have some eye problem but it may not be related to DR, diabetic retinopathy, glaucoma or AMD uh, so that's uh, Clogging up the system, uh, specialists, uh, eye doctors, uh, they, they can use their time better. So explain to me then in a bit more detail about who this product is being built for, as in who this would be sold to. Uh, it will mostly be used in primary care by uh, doctors' offices, uh, uh, pharmacies, optician chains. Uh, and it will usually be provisioned by a service provider that organizes the whole chain from uh, making the pictures until uh, the results coming back to the, to the patient in the end uh, that will know uh, 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 to go to an ophthalmologist or not and when to take the next screening. So it's, it's an organizational thing uh, just as much as a technology thing. Talk to me a bit about the diagnosis levels at the moment uh, because we were talking obviously about Western versus developing nations, but 
where are we at the moment in terms of identifying who has these these eye conditions that you're you're using this for? Mm-hmm. Yeah, with with uh, with the proper image of of a retina, you can uh, find early uh, stages of diabetic retinopathy, AMD, and glaucoma. Uh, probably even before people have an idea that they have uh, an eye problem. Uh, they may have other eye problems, but mostly the indication is a diabetes patient, because diabetes patients will very likely get DR during during the course of their illness. Um, we even found that this kind of uh, screening can, can actually find diabetes patients that already have early onset diabetic retinopathy but did not even know that they were diabetes. So that's, that's something that uh, can, can be uh, very helpful if you do a, a large-scale screening because half of the uh, diabetes patients are, are not yet identified as the diabetes patients. So finding them will allow them to be uh, uh, treated earlier, uh, which both for their diabetes but also for eye condition will will have uh, a lot of benefits. And as you know, the health system really needs to change the way uh, uh, we are working. We have to find uh, uh, patients early so that their, their quality of life will be better, but also the societal costs are very high. Just for vision loss, the, the societal cost, no, so non-care related, is, is uh, estimated to be 60 billion a year. So that kind of cost, uh, societal cost, can also be reduced by, um, uh, by earlier screening. And talk to me about the value of this kind of product in the developing world. Um, uh, the, the problem in the developing world uh, is that you also need a treatment option uh, to f- if you want to find a patient and then you cannot uh, uh, do anything. That's not very helpful. So I think th- th- uh, there will be stages. Many, many countries that are currently low middle income actually have great uh, uh, medical uh, systems already. But uh, adding screening for vision uh, uh, issues w- will help to find patients early and not get become a burden on the on the system and on the people uh, as it is uh, now so the, uh, I think finding the right tools uh, they will probably be different from what we are using in the uh, in the high-income countries but even high-income co- countries have a lot of uh, 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 spare uh, screening uh, opportunities uh, like in Saudi Arabia is a high-income high country but if you want to do a screening of your retina, you have to go to Riyadh. So they are working on uh, uh, making that more accessible by moving it into uh, uh, health uh, healthcare uh, facilities uh, nationwide, and in the longer run, bringing bringing it to primary care will allow everybody to be screened properly. And because it is low. Um, very low threshold screening it's very easy to do it doesn't cost much time it doesn't cost much money uh, a GP can can regularly screen people that that may only have uh, glasses but they could easily uh, uh, progress into other illnesses that they are not aware of yet so screen 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 is, is what we are saying just finally I want to ask you about uh, the availability of this and also talk about the, the work you're doing in Glasgow. Because I'm interested in this from my own point of view. I'm thinking, oh, Glasgow's involved. We talked about Glasgow yes. beforehand. <laughs> Tell me about what Glasgow's doing, what Scotland is doing to, to help further this, this cause and, and further this area. 
Yes. Um, first of all, availability. Uh, we have a device that's available from a few weeks from now. Just finishing up the certification, which is always a big hassle, but uh, we are almost done, and then it will be available. Uh, and we are talking to quite a few uh, organizations to do pilots, because we need to understand how to actually implement this in primary care, how to make it ubiquitous for everybody that wants, for any diabetes patient, to really get the screening instead of just talking about it. And then about uh, Glasgow, uh, we had a great contact at basically at the start of what we're doing now uh, with um, a researcher at the University of Strathclyde. He became our advisor and then uh, we identified uh, some projects that he was working on that really needs an industrial partner. So research is great, but uh, if you have an industrial partner that can actually bring it to market in the end, uh, that's really open, opening up a lot of opportunities. So we got a smart grant from uh, Scottish Development. Uh, we have some people within the university that basically work for our projects. Uh, and we continue to think about uh, what is needed for uh, improving the screening, uh, together with the university, the biomedical engineering department, uh, yeah, to, to look at what's next. Because we can make a product now, but if that's all we have, then uh, uh, as a company it will not be valid, but for the world it will not make a big difference uh, either. We really need to change the paradigms and that needs other technologies than what we can do now. Really interesting to learn all about RetinaScope and the work they're doing to try and uh, make eye exams more accessible to more people. And, you know, it's interesting, Sean, because like I say, I was kind of thinking immediately about developing countries, but then very quickly learning about the number of people in the West who just do not get appropriate eye care or regular access to treatment. Yeah, and the importance of that. How many news stories have we seen where, you know, a visit to my optician stopped me from going blind or, or whatever it is. It's, it's these things that can be caught early enough can have treatment, especially something like glaucoma. Um, and it's something as simple as this. Basically, this is, from what I can work out, it's just a lens, right, an adapter to get the image to the camera. But the, 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 the genius of it is getting it so easy to use that anyone can basically use it to get a good picture of the retina and therefore carry out that screening. I mean, it's just so important. There's big chain ophthalmologists over here where they offer that same sort of service. And surprisingly enough, if you go in as a visually impaired person with a problem with your retina, they usually say, oh, can we take a picture so we could have a look? But usually anyone, anyone else <laughs> has to pay extra for that because the machinery needed to take that picture of your retina is quite substantial. Um, so it is incredibly important to give everyone access to that. Yeah, so definitely. Cool. Um so coming up tomorrow, we're going to continue our conversation about computers and, and buying a new computer, and in particular the subject around headsets. So looking forward to your feedback on this. Get in touch, feedback at doubletaponair.com. You can also uh, call us one eight seven seven eight zero three four five six seven And uh, get in touch. Tell us what headsets you recommend. There's a, a thriving discussion at the moment on Mastodon about this which is great. So join the conversation there. I am posting directly through to X as well. So you will see uh, and you can respond and we will, of course, get those comments as well. So uh, do follow uh, us on X and also on uh, Mastodon. 
Uh, we'll get to Facebook at some point. I, I you know, some point I've got to figure out how to do it. And when I do, time. Come uh, on, it's only it's been around for twenty years. Yeah, it's, we'll that'll be it. finished by the time <laughs> Facebook will stand for finished by the time I get to. It. Um, that's it for today. Really interesting conversation as always. Thank you, Sean, as always, and I'll catch you tomorrow. Thank you. Bye bye. Hi, I'm Red Sale, inviting you to download the latest episode of My Life in Books, where internationally acclaimed authors discuss their lives, their work, and three books that have resonated with them. That's My Life in Books, available wherever you get your AMI podcasts.